we couldn't be at a better passage of Scripture at this time of the year than looking at 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter. And I invite you to go to your Bibles or follow along on the screen or follow on your tablet or mobile device. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16 or 17 through 19, and then also Luke chapter 12 is where we're going next. But let's read these verses together. They speak to us as if they were written for us right now. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, what way? Well, by doing good deeds, by being generous, by being willing to share, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. That last verse is so powerful, and I want to read that again. It's what we're going to look at today. In this way, by doing good and being generous and willing to share, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, and so that they may take hold of the life right now that's really life. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, this is going to be a good one today. It's hard for us to grasp, but I pray that you would let us open up our hearts. It's what you're after, and I pray that we would open our hearts to you and we hold nothing back, and that you would do what needs to be done in us. In Jesus' name, amen. A little love goes a long way. I was on my way to North Carolina, Charlotte, next, uh, last Sunday, and I was on my way to speak there, and on Saturday night, I stopped at Indianapolis Airport and was uh, getting my shoes shined while I waited for my flight. The man's name was Yaba, and he was from Liberia, and he was shining my shoes like I had the most important shoes in all of the United States of America. This guy had been doing this for eight years. As I talked to him and heard his story, he told me that he had worked so hard to get here. He had saved up for so long to get him and his family to come, and what an incredible opportunity he had. And he told me with great joy of the opportunity of America and the opportunity now that he was promoted. He was the manager now of all of the shoeshine businesses inside the Indianapolis airport and he was working so hard getting such a vigorous workout as if it was his first day on the job I just something in me just resonated with that work ethic and I thought to myself the only difference between this guy and me is he was born in a different part of the world and uh, I got to talking to him about his family and about his children and I asked him what his plans were for the weekend and he said well I don't have very many plans other than work I have to work almost every day. And then he asked me, what are you doing for the weekend? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. I'm going to North Carolina to preach at this church. I said, where do you go to church? He said, well, I don't often get to go. I'm working most of the time. And I said, well, good news. Church has come to you today because I'm here. And I'm just going well, to tell you a couple of things that I'm going to tell those people in uh, North Carolina. See all these decorations around here? People have forgotten what this is all about. Let me tell you what Christ really means. And I spent the next three minutes just sharing with him what Christ means and what it meant for his life. By the time I was finished, um, I could hear that little familiar whisper in my head that I've heard so many times before, and it was, give him everything. I had just been to the ATM moments before to get out the cash that I would need for my trip, and I heard the whisper of God say, as he always does to me often, give him everything. So I thanked him for the great job that he did, and I said, you know what, you can come to church 
all the time. Go on your phone, and here's an app, and you can listen to Pastor Jeffrey Johnson at Eastern Star Church every single Sunday. And I played it a little bit for him. I said, you need to listen to this guy. He's one of the greatest preachers of our time right here in this city. Listen to him. And by the way, thank you so much. And here's a gift. Keep it all. And I just blessed him and told him I'd pray for him, and I left. And I walked away thinking about the disparity between my life and his. And again, what an awesome human being I had just met. And the only difference was because I was raised in a different part of the world than him. I was sitting at my gate for about 20 minutes, and here comes Yaba from Liberia. And he had gone to the different gates to find out the flight to Charlotte. And uh, he came to say, I wanted to say thank you to you. And he came to thank me for the few words that I'd shared and how already it had begun to change his heart. And he said so gratefully, thank you for your time and thank you for talking to me. And it's made a difference. Whew, you know what I felt like at that moment? You just feel like I did nothing. And yet you feel totally rich and you feel totally blessed. And you feel like I'm right in the spot where I'm supposed to be. I'm so blessed. I got on that flight a few minutes later, and I'm walking through the first-class cabin on my way to my economy-class seat. They're kind of hurting us there. And I'm thinking to myself, I wonder what you have to do in life to be able to sit up here. And I want to, because this is obviously a first-class body, not an economy seat. Your laughter wounds me deeply. So, so... I wanted to go, what in the world do I have to do? And I started thinking covetously of all these people that get to be in business class with the little drinks, and I'm headed back to the back. And, you know, it's amazing how the heart can go in one minute from I am so blessed and I have it all and I'm rich, and the next minute I'm like, I don't have enough. <laughs> and see, you all know what I'm talking about. That's why Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, tell these rich people, I know you don't always feel rich, but I do know there are times you feel very blessed and you feel like you have, you know, more than enough and God has blessed you. And there are other times, depending on what neighborhood you're driving through and what kind of car is in front of you at the moment and what you see in the mall, those are the moments when you just swing to the other side, and the heart of man is very deceptive. Who can know it? There's something very strange about the heart, how we can pivot from feeling like we're totally blessed, and the next minute we don't have enough. And so, so Paul's writing to Timothy these verses saying, tell the people who are rich, whether they feel like it or not, from any given moment, Help them to see that they are and tell them that they ought to be good and they ought to do good and be generous and be rich and be willing to share. Because if they do this, not only will they lay up treasure for themselves in the life to come, but they're going to take hold of the life that's really worth living right now. Now, this isn't some little verse that we just hung, you know, this one little random verse, in case you're wondering, you know, did they find this one random verse in the Bible to hinge this all on? Oh, no. Actually, Paul was just summarizing the broad strokes of Jesus's teaching on this subject. In fact, over and over and over again, Jesus would come back to the idea that what you do with this time and this opportunity that you've been given is going to make a difference in the life to come. That right now you have been given a finite amount of time to take advantage of the opportunity that you've been given to do something for eternity. Jesus talked about that all the time, over and over and over. So Timothy reading this letter would have automatically known that Paul was just summarizing something that, that was at the heart of a huge amount of Jesus' teaching. And Paul's just dipping into that teaching right here. And he says in this verse 17, he says this, tell the people that they ought to do good. And if they do so, and if they are generous, and if they're willing to share, they're going to lay up a firm foundation for their eternal future. And get this, they're going to be able to take hold of the life that's really worth living right now. He taught over and over again. Again, Jesus, 
that what you do with the currency of life, the real currency of life is not money, it's time. And what you do with the finite amount of time that you've been given, with the opportunities you have, that's going to determine something about your eternal future, and it's going to matter. So let me take you to one of those powerful passages that Jesus taught about in Luke chapter 12, where he lays out a parable, which is a story with a point that's leading to something he really wants to say. And in order to say it, he has to tell a story first. So here's the story. He talks about a rich man. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Now, to put you in the context, this is like hearing a story about somebody who's really rich that just got a whole lot richer. And what's your normal reaction to that kind of story? Well, of course, the rich get richer. Of course, the people who have more get more. And this is a story. So the people who are hearing this parable, their ears perk up. And Jesus tells the story of a guy who had a lot and suddenly became a whole lot wealthier. And the man thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store all of my crops, all this abundance. And everybody in the audience is going, ah, oh, poor rich guy. He doesn't have enough place to store all of his extra. It'd be like, I've got a three-car garage with three cars. I don't have room for my new Maserati. I mean, yeah. We're like, oh, really? Hmm, rich people problems, right? Like 8,000 square feet is not enough. I need 6,000 square feet or 16,000 square feet. You know, I don't have enough room. So, so... Jesus presses the issue, and he helps us to see into the thinking of our culture, and he says this, the man thought to himself, I've got this problem. I've got more than enough. Here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, and I will build bigger ones, and there I will store all of my extra, my surplus grain. Now, that's a great solution to a problem. In fact, if the story stopped there, we would think Jesus is making a point about saving and about preparing for risk and having more than enough than you need. I mean, not enough room to store it all. I need more storage. And he pushes, Jesus does, into the end game of what the culture thinks the goal is. Jesus pushes into the goal of what we think life is about. And so for many people, this is what we think success would be. I have finally been able to accumulate enough. Listen, I have stored enough wealth that I don't have to worry anymore. I've been able to think through future uh, risks and future threats, and I've been able to save up enough. I've prepared for the eventualities. I've stored up to myself so I don't have to worry. Look what he says. Verse 19, I will say to myself, self, uh, you have now plenty of grain laid up for many years. See, now you can relax. You have prepared for every possible economic downturn. So now you can relax and you can take it easy and you can drink and be merry. So the audience is listening to Jesus because you've just described the most successful person I could think of. And look at this, verse, nine, uh, verse 20. But God said to him, but God said to him, you fool. What? You just described the wisest person and God says, you fool. God doesn't say you fool because he's rich. <laughs> he calls him a fool because the guy is trading on the wrong currency. You fool. I mean, this very night, you're done. This very night, your life is over. Your time is up. What? Time can't be up. I've just saved up enough for all of the years ahead. And God's saying, you fool, you can't control the numbers of years that you had. And, and by the way, you thought that everything I put into your hands was for you. You see, the real currency I gave you was time, and you wasted that time. You have a finite amount of time to do something with all that I gave you, and all you did was store it and hoard it and bury it, and now your time is gone, 
What have you done with what I've given you? And God says to him, you fool. Boy, that's a different way of thinking for us. But we know it's true. You can't control the amount of time that you have. In fact, you can't control a whole lot of what you have. Everything that you have ultimately is a gift of God. But God. But not for God that, that, that we are breathing air right now in our lungs. Nobody, you don't earn your lungs. I mean, God gave them to you. You don't earn the air that you breathe, the sun that shines on your head. You don't earn uh, your brain and the intellect that you have. And some of you might say, well, don't minimize my contribution. I've worked hard. I've, I've, got, I've got a work ethic. Yeah, but you didn't choose what country that you were born in. And you didn't choose the opportunity to be born in a free country where you could pretty much determine what you want to do with your life. And you don't have anybody saying you can't do this. You could pursue your dream. Um, you can't control the educational opportunities that you were given and the family you came from and pretty much everything that you have, God has given you. And we don't like to hear that, but God has given you anything. And here's what God is trying to say. I'm such a generous God. It's who I am. For God so loved the world that he, he gave, that even while we were still sinners, he gave his son and he died for us. Everything about God is about giving. And you know why? Because God is love. He has loved us with an everlasting love. There is no love that's greater than the love of God. It is without limit. In fact, it is infinite, the amount of love that he has for you and me. And the God who is infinite in his love is infinite in his giving. In fact, listen, there is no love without giving. You can give without love, but you cannot love without giving. You understand what I'm saying? Don't tell me that you love somebody that you never give to. You have to give in order to truly love. And so God, who has loved us more than anything else, has given everything to us. And people forget that. And they live their whole lives pursuing a different system. And God wants to say, hey, you fool, you've not realized that I gave you a certain window of time. And the opportunity that you have, I expect you to do something with that. And so that's why he says to this guy, you know, I gave you everything. And at the end of it all, your heart wasn't even close to being like mine. I gave you everything, but, you know, now I've got to start over. Now it's just a total loss. Your time ran out. Your life will be demanded from you. Look what he says. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? So you see, everybody leaves behind the exact same amount, all of it. <laughs> Everybody leaves it all. Everybody leaves everything. The same for everybody. That's why you don't get credit for what you leave behind. You only get credit for what you give while you're living. Because if you don't give it before you die, it's a total loss. And the kids you left it to will have no more of a clue how to be a giver because all they looked at was you. You see, your kids watch you store things up for yourselves God's saying, look, if you just live for you, I'm going to have to start over again with them, and it's going to be a total loss. See, think like God. It shouldn't have to be as hard for our children. It shouldn't have to be as hard for them. It should get easier for them as we follow God. It shouldn't be harder. But I want you to think about the impact that your life is having on your children and your grandchildren and those that are watching you. You are the only person that they are going to learn generosity from. They are not going to learn it from this world. This whole world is selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed. It's all about me and mine and what I want. What lesson, what life-grounding messages are you leaving for your children to inherit? He says, what are you going to leave for those that are left behind? 
What are you grounding your kids in, your grandchildren, as they grow up in the selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed world where there is so little love and so little real generosity and so very few real givers, and where would they ever learn that from? Am I going to have to start over? Is this a total loss? No wonder they grow up thinking this generation. Well, I guess if it's to be, it's up to me. I got to look out for me and number one because nobody else will. So verse 21 Jesus tells, this is how it will be. This isn't a judgment. He's just saying, this is how it is. If you live that way, this is how it will be with those who store up things for themselves and are not rich towards God. For those who say, I'm going to save my way to safety. I'm going to hoard and build high walls, and I'm going to protect myself and mine. And God says, I think, you know, you're not wise. You fool, you're, you're, you're setting yourself up for a loss. You're missing the point. You fail to recognize that the goal of life is a test of your heart. And I want your heart. And you have failed the test of having a heart like mine to pass on to your children. Now, here's the whole point of my message today. What will you do with the opportunities you've been given in the finite amount of time in which you've been given? Everybody in this room has a finite amount of time in this life, and we don't really know what it is, but what are you doing with the opportunities you've been given now within the finite amount of time that you've been given? Now, Jesus is telling this whole story to get to that point and say, I know what the real barrier is. I know that the issue is fear. I know the issue is worry. And he keeps going through this passage talking about the things that we worry about, like food on our table and clothes on our back and a roof over our head. And, and if he was talking to us today, he would take it one more step further and he'd say, the lifestyle to which we have become accustomed or the lifestyle that we want to pursue. And here's the real sneaky thing about wealth. The more that you have, the more anxiety comes with it. That's why you've been hearing this statistic, and it doesn't make any sense. Why are the richer people not more generous? I'll tell you why. It's very hard. The more you have, the more fearful you become. The more you have to protect, the more you have to worry about, the more risk there is about losing this, this thing that I have, and there's more stress. So, so the side effect, the evil side effect of having more is that you worry more. Now, I, I, you just know in your heart that that is just truth. The more you have, so if you have, the more power and influence you have, the more you worry. And the side effect of having more wealth is that you worry more. And the side effect of, of having more influence is the fact that you worry. So God says, you are going to have to decide to be extremely counterintuitive. And you're going to have to give away the very things that I'm giving to you. If you hold on to them, it's going to become toxic to your soul. And over time, you're going to have a white-knuckled grip on life that is not really living at all. He's saying, Timothy, tell those folks that there is a way that they can take hold of the life that's truly living. It's not about living in fear. How many in this room live worried about tomorrow? The very things that Jesus talked about, what you'll eat, what you'll wear, what's going to happen tomorrow. Will we still have a roof over our heads? Will I still have the lifestyle to which I'm accustomed? Look, what, look at this, verse 28. This is your God speaking to you today. Verse 28, O you of little faith. O you of little faith, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. Verse 30, for the pagan world, okay, listen, pagan, the godless world, the people who have no God, who don't have a heavenly father in their life looking out for them, the ones that just think that it's just me and I'm on my own, the pagan world are chasing after that kind of security. 
They need to know. But you have a heavenly father that knows what you need. So seek first his heart, his kingdom, his priorities, and he will give everything to you as well. Verse 32, do not be afraid, my little flock, my little sheep. Don't you worry. Your father is pleased to give you everything in his kingdom. Now, you have little faith. You have a choice to believe that or not. And... And he says, it's my, cho- it's my desire to give you the kingdom. And the Holy Spirit is the down payment of the future inheritance. And what he means by that is he gave the life of his only son. And he purchased your freedom and your forgiveness and your access to him with the blood of his son. He's not asking you to give your son. He's only asking you to let go of the things that you think your identity and security come from and trust him instead. So he pushes his audiences just a little like he's going to push yours when I read you this next verse. Um, he says, and this is so hard for us to hear, verse 33, he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And I think what happens, we read that verse and we discount it because we take it all the way to the extreme, like, like give everything, like I can't possibly do that. How could I possibly, and we just turn it off. But listen, think about what he's really saying. And think about how much easier it is for you and I to obey that verse today than his original audience. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. It's way easier for us today to do this. We got eBay. We got Craigslist. (laughs) We got all kinds of tools to help us divest ourselves of all that stuff that's piling up, all of that stuff that's accumulating, all of the stuff in our houses, the china that sits there that nobody ever eats off of, that one day the kids are going to fight about who gets to keep it and dust it. You know, that's all that stuff that the collections and the things that we have and the stuff we don't use and the infomercial stuff we bought and all the stuff that's accumulated up. He's saying, why don't you sell that stuff? What are you, what's this hoarding mentality? You guys don't throw stuff away. Basements and storage units and the pods and all that we have to have. Why? Because we don't want to, we, I might need that someday. It's a mentality. And he's, so he's speaking to the mentality. He's talking about the heart. He's saying, why don't you let go of your stuff and not look to that as your security, as if that's going to protect you? You've been given a little bit of time, a little bit of opportunity. What are you going to do with the life I've given you? And the point is, is that you would have a heart like mine and that you'd be free and that you would learn to know that I love you. And you don't have to be afraid that love is actually greater than fear. Think about the hundreds of thousands of dollars that we could free up together if we just sold some stuff and gave it to the poor, put it into circulation, made a difference with it. Sell what you have and give to the poor. Look what he says. When you do this, you're, you're, um, you're providing purses for yourself. You, when you do this, you're providing an income stream for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that'll never fail, where no thief can come in and rob or steal or some downturn can stop you. No moth can destroy. Look at verse 34, and you know this one. For where your treasure is, there your what? Your heart will be also. You know why you know that? Because Jesus said that a bunch of times. He didn't say it one time. He didn't say that twice. He didn't say it three times or even four times or even five times. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Six times. It's in the Gospels. That means he said it a lot. That means it's important. That means that if Jesus says something six times, pay attention. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I don't want your stuff. I gave you everything. I made it all. It's all yours. But I don't want your stuff. I want your heart. See, I wish I had time to tell you all the stories of people who got this principle. 
there's such a freedom in their heart. Because they don't talk, generous people who, who get the Christ-like generosity I'm talking about, they don't talk about the wells that they've drilled, or they don't talk about the food they provided, or the homeless they've helped. They don't have a list. They don't put their names on buildings. They don't, they don't talk about all the stuff they've done. If you listen to them, they talk about the change in their heart. They talk about how they're no longer bound by materialism. They talk about how they're free, and they're, there's a spiritual vibrancy about their life when they talk to you about, I think I've taken hold of real living. I'm not controlled. It is amazing to hear how the hold that stuff had on them is gone and their grip on the stuff that they had is gone. That's right. I love you, Kevin. And uh, it's amazing to watch what Gunn's done in your life these last few years. And I'm so proud of you. You see, God really wants your heart, and the number one contender for your heart is not the devil. Well, it is, but I mean, the number one contender for your heart are the things that you think will give you identity and security. And so God really wants your heart, and men especially, uh, God doesn't have your heart until he gets control of your finances. And so for people like Kevin who say that they get it, they've discovered this principle that it's really about the love of God, that that when you take the risk to trust him in an area of your insecurity and God comes back and shows you that you can't outgive him, there is a sense that God knows everything about me right down to the detail. He knows. Don't think that Kevin didn't know that God loved him at that moment and it's love that's greater than fear. And that's really what God wants to show you, that you can't secure yourself enough. You have no idea what the future holds, but you can secure yourself in the love of God. And he wants to show that love to you. That one day you actually wake up and you realize, it's not really just me looking out for me, that there is a God who knows everything about my life. And he's got me. And my heart is aligned with his and his heart's aligned with me. And I don't have to worry about the future anymore. Listen, I've never met anybody who has taken that journey towards godly generosity who has ever regretted it. I've never heard one person say, I wish I hadn't done that. You know, what I have heard is people say, I wish I hadn't spent that money. People wish they hadn't uh, wasted money. People wish they hadn't loaned money to family. (laughs) You never forget when you do that. You know, people say, I wish I never did these other things, but you'll never regret giving it because when you give it, something happens to your heart. Now, the only way that you're going to get God to take control of your heart like this is that it can't, it doesn't just happen. There has to be a plan. Something has to move from just the way you're living to a new habitual way of living in regards to generosity. And it's very countercultural. Our culture defines generosity in a very, three S's, okay? Uh, Spontaneous, sporadic, and sparingly. That's what our culture calls generous. You only give when you feel it, when you sense that there's a need. Somebody dragged you to a fundraiser and there's a sense of guilt. And so it's this very spontaneous sort of, if I feel it, I'll do it. Sporadic because it's only every so often. There's nothing habitual about it. And sparingly because it's built on the question, well, what can I afford? Now, godly Christ-like giving is totally different and it's based on three Ps, which is priority, percentage, and progressive. And what that means is I have no longer wait for the impulse or the feeling. I've pre-decided in advance that I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to be a generous person. That one decision uh, is, the, is the key to everything. I've pre-decided. It's going to be a priority in my life. There's going to be a percentage of my income 
that I'm going to allocate that is God's. It belongs to him. It isn't even mine. And the way I was raised, the way I grew up, for me, that was 10%. It was $1 on every 10. It was an easy thing for a child to figure out, and we just gave that, whether it was 10 cents on a dollar or a dollar on 10 or 10 on 100. And you know what? The larger the numbers get, the harder it is for some people. But when you learn this early on, it's just the same thing. It's still just $1 on every 10. That's percentage giving. But then progressive giving is when you come to the point where you realize that God has it all and he's got you and he blesses you, that you start bumping that percentage and you keep giving God more and more of your heart. And that's how your heart gets free. Some of you know my story. And uh, years ago, as we were raised up, you know, both Lee and I raised in homes where we gave the first 10% of our income. And we did that for years. But several years ago, we decided to take that step into increasing generosity where God would get more and more of our own hearts. And we started bumping percentages every year. And by God's grace, by the end of 2014, we're going to be able to give 25% of our gross away every single year. And I got a son in college and one daughter about to go in. I'm just like you, but God has given us so much freedom and so much margin because he is a God that can never be outgiven. He is faithful. And see, this is not something I want from you. This is something I want for you. This is how you take hold of the life that's really life, that you are able to live in such a way I can respond to the impulse of what God says. And see, really, that's the question. The culture says, give out of what you can afford. God says, give what I tell you to give. And so my question for you is if you really want to move to a generosity heart, don't think, the question isn't what can I afford? The question is, God, what do you want to give through me? And that's the question I encourage you to start praying. God, what do you want to give through me? And when you sincerely pray that prayer, something's going to happen. God will give you direction and it's going to be beyond what you think you can do because God's going to cause you to trust him. And it's going to be a little bit more than what you think. But in doing so, you're going to take that little risk of faith and find out in the end that God loves me and he cares about me and he knows everything about me. God loves you. Love is greater than fear. How do I get started, Darren? I've never done this before. This is scary to me. How would I move from being this sort of sporadic, kind of a spontaneous when the need hits, sparing sort of a giving person? Well, you decide. You like any habit, there's just a day that you begin to say this is going to be a priority and this is going to be a percentage and it's going to be progressive. And I just want to say what greater time ever than Thanksgiving to be giving. This time of year, right now, this is a decision to say I can be giving towards God and be rich towards God at Thanksgiving. So you sit down with your wife or your husband or by yourself and you sit down and you say, what will I give to God? God, what do you want to give through me? What percentage do you want that to be? And you just set it up. You can go like 60% of our church that goes ahead and set this up online already. And you can join. There's people sitting all around you that understand what this means to do that. But the other thing you can do that's very practical is to sit down with your family and say, what are we going to do as a family together at Christmas? How can we be rich towards the poor? And you can plan now, and I think the most important thing you could do is to talk with your children and include them in this decision. They are not going to learn generosity anywhere else except from you. So you sit down and say, kids, we're going to come together. We're going to give to the poor at Christmas. We're going to pray this prayer. God, what would you give through us? And ask them to pray and let, say, kids, get, let God talk to you, and we're going to pray, and here's what we're thinking. And make it a family commitment. 
And you're going to be blown away at what God does as you plan and prepare to be generous and be rich towards God. The Bible says this great verse in Proverbs chapter, I think it's 19 verse 17, where it says, when you give to the poor, it's like lending to God and he will repay. Try him and see what he won't do. Involve your kids. Let them see God. Let them have an awe, wow God moment, and it'll change their life forever. And after all, it is Jesus' birthday, right? Why wouldn't we give to him on his birthday? I mean, why don't you consider crazy ideas? Like I heard somebody say, uh, calculate all you're going to give to other people and make a gift to Jesus equal to all of that for his birthday. It's Christmas. Give to God and be rich towards God and let him have your heart. Here's my final thought. What will you do with the opportunity you've been given and the finite amount of time that you have. Do you receive this today? All right. The best thing you can ever give to God is you. And for some of you, you're sitting here today and you feel far from God and you feel like you've let him down and your sins have piled up against you. And maybe you came here today and you know that if it was tonight, that the time was called, and t like tonight, and this was the end of my life, I would not be ready to meet Christ. I would not be ready to meet my Father in heaven. If that's you, the thing that you just need to do is give him your life. Just stop pushing him back and simply say, Jesus Christ, I'm going to stop holding you at a distance. I'm going to stop pretending that I'm God. You're God, and I'm not. I invite you to come into my life and take control of me. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for holding you off. And I want you to forgive me. And from this day forward, I want to let you call the shots. And I want to come back to you today. If somebody dragged you here today, you came just because you felt like you had to get back to church. You felt like you needed to just get right with God. Today is your day. God brought you here to hear me say this to you. You can give your life to Christ today. It's the greatest gift you could ever give God at Christmas, at Thanksgiving. Why don't you bow your heads and say this prayer with me? Jesus Christ, I come to you humbly. I'm sorry for my sin, and I need to be right with you. I can't make myself right with you. I've screwed it up too much. I can't keep my own standards, let alone yours. So I'm going to need your mercy and grace. Will you forgive me today? And from this day forward, I just give you my life. You get the right to call the shots. I'm yours. I say yes to you. If that's you in your heart, say right now, Jesus Christ, that's my prayer. I'm giving myself to you, just like he's praying. That's my prayer. Yes, God, that's me. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd grab the heart of that person. Let them know that you're real. Let the witness of your spirit fill them with love. And may they realize that they've been forgiven long before they ever walked in here. You love them with an everlasting love. And today is their day that they gave their life to you. Now, Jesus, I pray for every other person that's here following you for a long time. And there's been an obstacle of fear. And I just want to say, oh, God, help them with their faith today. Here's your prayer. I need you, God, to help me with my faith. It so hit me what Kevin said. I can do what I, only I can do, but I need help in my faith. Why don't you tell him you're willing? God, I'm willing to do what you ask and take that risk. And God, I pray that for that person who takes that risk, will you meet them with your love? Show them in a specific way that you've got their back, that you'll never let them fall, that you have every need covered. They don't have to worry about food or roofs over their head or clothes on their back, that you have got their life and you want to set them free to be on mission with you, to give their lives and to give everything you put in their hands for the glory of your son and for the purpose of your kingdom. 
Set them free to live life that's real living. I ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen and amen. Let's give God praise one more time.